0: We're bringing Australian true crime live to Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne this July. And I have to tell you that Brisbane sold out already. Good for you, Brisbane. So we've quickly added a second show. Now we can't keep adding more shows. So please make sure you get your tickets. Our special guests are forensic criminologist, Santhe Mallet in Brisbane and Sydney and the one and only Charlie Bazzina in Melbourne. There'll be a Q&A, of course, so you can ask your own burning questions on the night, but you have to
1: book quickly.
3: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game, and it's good for you.
2: Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewellery experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
0: This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests, so please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people.
2: The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging.
4: So why do we punish? We punish to stop behaviour, to keep the community safe. I don't actually think retribution really should come into it. This eye for an eye thing, I don't think it really has a place. What does it achieve? It doesn't achieve anything. For me, the goal is to make the world a safer place, to stop victimisation. Does prison do that? Does punitive punishment
0: do that? No. Our guest on Australian True Crime today is Lauren. She brings a perspective on the criminal justice system, particularly the punishment of sex offenders, that I think many of us will struggle with. But she's anything but misinformed. Not only is Lauren an academic with decades of research in the field, who currently teaches criminology at an Australian university, but she's also a victim of several sexual assaults dating back to her childhood. Lauren's thoughts on sexual assault, sex offenders and pursuing these matters through the legal system are often at odds with the messaging you'll usually hear on this show. But we think she deserves to be heard, not least because there's no doubt she speaks for a group of survivors who aren't often represented in the conversation. Before we get to Lauren's story, though, I asked her to explain a bit about the study of criminology. I know a number of you have studied or are studying criminology as we speak, and I often wish I had, I must confess. But I don't think I really know what criminology entails.
4: Criminology is a social science. It it looks at the why, what, who, where of crime. It explains victimisation. It explains why offending happens. For years, we, we've always asked the question, why does someone start committing crime? And typically we want to know this because we want to know how to stop it, right? Or we want to know how to protect ourselves. I think the thing I also try and communicate to students is because it's a social science and because we use data, there are lots of alternative explanations, which can actually be quite difficult. And, and so for me as a criminologist, I can have one theory or one perspective. And my experience and my biases influence that. But I can talk to another criminologist who who has a completely different understanding or different experience. And I think that can be confusing for some students. Uh, We're probably fairly used to the CSI stuff, right? And, And even criminology from a media point of view, like it's black and white, because when we watch a TV
0: show, we have the answer generally. In an hour. Yeah. (laughs) So what sort of careers would your students ideally, your best students, be looking at uh, when they graduate?
4: There are so many avenues to go down. Uh, You've got the big three, which are the police, the courts and corrections, but you've got teaching, you've got research, border patrol, security, security. Two examples of two people that I know who have got criminology degrees who work in uh, different type of jobs. So one of them does uh, town planning in the council but has an understanding of crime prevention tactics, right, because anywhere you look, I mean, the hedges, you know, the hedges along the road where you go, that's in my way. Like someone like me, you know, the criminologists tend to hop the hedge, (laughs) We right. just we know why it's there to stop us jaywalking. <laughs> we don't ah.
0: approve. <laughs> so
4: things like this, you know, where we we think, oh, that's pretty, or oh, that's a beautification. You know, they're just doing it for the looks, right? Yeah. Well. No, in a lot of circumstances, it's it's to reduce incidents, it's to reduce victimisation, to reduce crimes. Um, a really typical one that's that started is so when you first come out of a pub, if a pub's on a, a main road, there's often a fence straight out, and you'll have like if there's a taxi rank there, you'll have the guards either side to kind of direct
0: people and to corral us like cattle. Yes, To to move us in a certain direction (laughs) so we're not just milling around out onto the street. Yeah, and it prevents bust-ups
4: as well. You style my taxi and and all sorts of things. And the other one is, so uh, another friend of mine, she works in Centrelink. She's really glad she's there now and she feels like she can help because she just says that she does her job so much better because there's not the judgement there, there's not the bias there. Uh, She understands from a theoretical point of view, but I, there are a lot of challenges with that as well in that the system is actually not set up for them to succeed. No, you know, like, absolutely. When I see people get out of uh, prison, this is where I notice it the most. I I remember having a conversation with someone who said that they were released at 1am in the morning and then was back inside 48
0: hours later because he stole a car. Like, well, how else was he going to get home? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. It's not the movies. Yeah. Not everyone has a family waiting for them to pick them up and all of those things. And, yeah, where do you go? And you've you've lost a lot
4: of connections. Depending on how much time you've been inside, you've got no idea about Uber. (laughs) You don't know how to order a taxi anymore. So I actually started in a music degree. Yeah, right. I got into... Uh, uni at around that fifteen mark, and I just I needed to go back to school. I was homeschooled in in my secondary education, so I need to go back needed to go back to school to get my HSE. Why was
0: that? Why were you Why were you homeschooled? So um, my dad
4: had a uh, a mental health breakdown when I was about twelve years old, and uh, I was going to school in Newcastle, so it was an hour and a half bus trip either way. And it was just with everything that happened, you know, I mean, finances obviously came into it, right? Like dad wasn't able to work anymore. So he he pretty much slept close to 16 hours a day oh, for, for months. I mean, you know, I love my dad like crazy. We, we've we got a really good relationship and <laughs> that's probably because I, I spent so much time at home with him, right? Like there was four years where I was at home with dad and They were pretty amazing. We really didn't miss out. Like I got pulled out of school, yes, but I actually think it was the best thing that happened to me Yeah. because I didn't have a lot of people telling me what to think. You know, Mm. I I can't, I mean, gosh, I can't imagine even now with social media, but I was really able to understand myself and kind of come at the world from my own perspective and develop what I thought. And it was from me. I, I didn't have too many influences.
0: So yeah, where did you flip from music, swimming and from all that stuff into criminology?
4: I kind of think it always was, you know, I I mean, because of my, uh, you know, have my dad's mental health issues, which I uh, also uh, inherited. (laughs) Thanks, dad. I needed to understand myself in that way. And I needed to understand where my boundaries were. And I was also trying to figure out how that fit in society because for much of my life and even to, to this point in time, being an introvert who is highly sensitive, who likes her own time, I see myself as someone who's a, a square peg, you know, fitting in a round hole. And, you know, we don't make a lot of allowances for people who are overly emotional particularly in this kind of job, and I see it in my teaching all the time, Unfortunately, you know, I'm very passionate about uh, trigger warnings. I mean, look, we can't use a trigger warning for everything, but I think in, in terms of sexual assault, in terms of uh, death, uh, Indigenous persons, the big ticket items, right? I mean, what does it cost us to make a
0: little note and that comes from my own experience. Absolutely, and I think I didn't realize what being triggered was until trigger warnings were happening so much and I and I had to start making trigger warnings and I think I was being triggered for a really long time. Lots yeah. of times by lots of things and didn't realize didn't realize it didn't realize what it was and so I think the discussion around trigger warnings is hopefully helped a lot of other people too, to understand in the moment when they're being triggered and to be able to stop whatever it is they're watching or reading or participating in and deal with it. because I think in the past, I'm just sitting there just keeping watching, keeping, listening, keeping going through it. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I actually think it's a step that we miss. I think
4: encouraging people or walking them through the steps of this is what you need to do, you know, take a break. And the reality is that they're going to go into the world and they're going to have vicarious trauma. I remember thinking vicarious trauma was um, crap. I I remember the moment going like, oh, there's people who are really traumatized. Like, don't you just jump on their bandwagon? I I thought it was something that was really rude, but it's it's a real thing. And I see part of my job as encouraging and helping people to learn about themselves, learn to put protective mechanisms in beforehand, you know, doesn't make you weak, doesn't make you wrong or
0: weird, or it just makes you you and it's okay. So if I may ask, I know that there were assaults that happened to you when, when you were younger and I, and I believe when you were a teenager. So I'm wondering how they connect with the criminology. It's why I suppose I was really interested in criminology. I, I probably
4: started being interested in victimology. I, I wanted to understand why me <laughs> I, I felt really targeted uh, because there had been three separate instances. You know, the first one happened when I was 13, 14. The second one was around that 14 mark. The, the first two early ones happened pretty much in a similar space of time and, and then the, the last one was in my, in my later teens. I very much felt like I was targeted
0: and for me my boobs actually played a really big part. In it, were you one of those girls like me who just woke up one day with boobs? Yeah, yeah, yep. I went, I went from an A cup to about a double D, yep. like overnight. And then suddenly,
4: everyone's looking at you different. You're like, why? Yeah, and you get all of the attention. I wasn't doing anything differently, you know. Like, I was wearing a bikini the same as I was wearing doing it before, and I was wearing the same clothes. And I certainly wasn't somebody who was provocative in any way. My mum and my sister are actually really small as well and I, I think that contributed to it because there was a lack of understanding about what I was dealing with and there was like that, don't be silly, they're not looking at you. I'm pretty perceptive. So, you know, I knew. I was part of a a youth group. There was a a bloke who... Uh, came in. He wasn't really part of the youth group. I think he might might have been a friend or something. And I I got a really bad vibe from him. You know, I kind of already had that understanding of mm, yeah, you're problematic here. Like, and and I can now look back and go, I was totally being groomed. I was totally being groomed. There was a couple of boys in the youth group who uh, didn't have control over their hormones. <laughs> Who were because this was the other issue that that I had. And I was constantly told that although I was 13, 14, from that young age, I looked like I was 17, 18. I was tall, I was as tall as I am now, so almost 5'10. I I had these double D cup boobs, right? Had really long blonde hair, and I was working. <laughs> I wasn't at school, right? I'd been in an adult world and and so I had social skills and an air about me that was more mature. And looking back now, I I think absolutely my mum was right and people uh, uh, around me in the church were right in that these boys weren't realizing it wasn't it wasn't correlating that I was as young as I was. They were just looking with their eyes. Because I felt like it was about my boobs and my femininity and, and who I was as a person, you know, it wasn't actually something I could change. And so I, you know, I wore the baggy shirt. I, I just I just hid. I hid who I was and I think it's very much contributed to I, I'm quite uh, in that, you know, there's always a line, right, in a spectrum of, of femininity and masculinity uh, and I am quite masculine and I believe that that's a protective mechanism that I've used. And I remember having a conversation with my parents. I remember because it was kind of, you know, if, if the boys in the, uh, in the youth group touched me, it was, they were just exploring and it was okay. And it was, I was often left with the boys as well because I was a tomboy.
0: Was it okay with you though? What do you mean by... Totally. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay.
4: Absolutely. So, I mean, not the touching. <laughs> not the touching wasn't okay, but I, I didn't get on with girls. Yeah. One boy in general that I really struggled with. And uh, my, my parents actually tell me the story they remember when I, I knocked him to the ground. I just punched him. And as much as I hated it and, and really, it really impacted who, who I was, who I am, how I interacted with the world... I can see his perspective. I mean, he was a young boy, hormones, he was attracted to me. And, you know, I mean, the only difference between sexual harassment and a romantic gesture is whether you want it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And um, and the movies do us a little bit of a disservice, really, because, you know, it's the, oh, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden, she you know, she has this, epiphany that he's the most amazing man and
0: yes of course yeah and we were told to as kids to a certain extent to be persistent less so now but but it was a sort of a gray area wasn't it but obviously you felt threatened I mean as you said you weren't that kind of kid you weren't you didn't go around punching other kids so obviously you felt threatened enough to actually do that in that space in church and and my first like the first two
4: victimizations you know they it was fondling, it was trying, it was coming into my space, it was kissing me, touching my boobs, touching my thigh. So when this bloke showed up at youth group? Yeah, so I was kind of more of a, an educative prop, really. I mean, he, he would have been grooming. He was only really new. Like, I didn't really know him. It was probably the first couple of times So when I talk about being an educative prop, I'm talking about I was being groomed. The adult never uh, touched me himself. He was encouraging the other boys. It was it was more voyeuristic on his part, uh, and so would I suppose get enjoyment out of uh, telling the boys or or encouraging them uh, and watching them. Uh, touch me. Unfortunately, uh, he did offend again and he did receive uh, punishment. Right, He was tried uh, in the criminal justice system and, and went to jail uh, for that offence. I just got such a bad feeling. I refused to go to church after that. Uh, I just wouldn't go. He's probably the one that I really think that, yep, okay, there needed to be some sort of punitive punishment mm-hmm.
0: having said that though I don't know his story why you why do you care about his story like he assaulted you so why are you worried about his story I just hurt people hurt people so now you've got your criminology hat on it, I've probably got my bleeding heart on <laughs> yeah you have you really have because yeah. uh, and- that hurt person hurt you Thirteen-year-old girl who's like at her youth group. That was the most innocent place to be in the world. And he not only hurt you there, but he took it from you. You never even went. You stopped going. Yeah, very true. So, did you report it and nothing came of it, or do you feel as though? Yeah. So I I had a few
4: conversations with with different people, and you know, like I was, I was known as the sensitive kid. I was, I, and I, I am that person, right? I am sensitive. I do read into things. And I have feelings. So was that the vibe? Oh, Lauren's just yeah. overreacting. Yeah, that, that's, that's how I remember it. Mm. And it was something that I was used to as a kid. It wasn't something new that was said to me. It, it was, you know, you, you're just, you know, you're just being sensitive. <laughs> I didn't tell my parents originally when it happened for a few months. And I remember, so my, my parents had a really high like poster bed and I, I remember crawling under there in the middle of the night and I would I would turn off my dad's alarm because if dad, if dad didn't wake up, then mum wouldn't wake up because dad wakes mum up Cheeky. <laughs> and we'd miss church.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and it,
4: it worked a couple of times but then when I kind of got the courage and I, I think I got the courage because the other incident happened with someone else. And again, they were 16, 17. And I was again told that, you know, kind of, oh, it's not computing that you're only 13, 14. And I, you know, my mother sent me on an errand and I went to the house and uh, it was this young man or boy that was home. And again, had I reciprocated or, you know, I mean, I wasn't even, I was so not interested in boys at that age. It it took me quite a while, but it was just like, I just, you know, this person was coming into my space and I didn't know what to do. And, and I, I'm a bit of a freezer and it was, you know, kind of just grabbed me, you know, led me to the couch, kind of sat me down and, and tried to kiss me basically. But in – and, you know, that that's the criminologist, Lauren, looking at it, right? But in the time, all I felt was someone is grabbing me. They're making me do something that I don't want to do. And I just – I didn't know how to respond. I, I just had no idea. And again, so it was a – there was a confirmation bias that was happening as well. Like, okay, so it must be me.
0: Everything you're saying to me is so valuable because I'm thinking – I've never had a conversation with my daughter about what to do in this situation. That's mm. that's not necessarily saying to a guy, "Oh, you're attacking me," but just making it really clear that, "Oh no, I'm not interested. Uh, oh no, yep. thank you." Basically, you know, just not freezing, not because as you're speaking, I'm thinking, "Oh yeah, I remember this stuff," because no one ever sat me down and said, "Oh, by the way." Guys might think I'm attracted to her and if I lead her to the couch and sit her down, she must be attracted to me too unless she says anything or gets up and leaves or whatever. Yeah. So it might be fair to think, okay, great, we're on here and, you know, just keep going until she says we're not. So it's really a really good idea to have this conversation with my daughter about what to do and my son.
4: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I talk about when I, I talk with young kids or at schools or at events I always encourage the parents that it begins at home because one thing that I've struggled with all through my life is boundaries. I never learnt how to set them up and I thought that I would be rejected if I did. I was, or I am an agreeable person, highly agreeable. Uh, So for me to put my foot down and be defiant, there's something big and and I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, mum and dad both asked what's wrong or what's going on or what's happening and, you know, I, I certainly didn't come out with it but, you know, I, I would—I <laughs> was always that kid that gave little bits of information and they had to put the puzzle together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and finally it was kind of like, yeah, okay, you know what happened but we're not talking about it ever again. <laughs> really? Did they not? no. That would have been more me than anything else. I felt so much, not necessarily shame, but I felt like I was somehow, there was an element of blame, but it was because I was broken or it was because I failed to do something. It was just, I just wanted to move on. And ironically, by not talking about it, I failed to move on (laughs) because I failed to deal with it when a child comes to you with a problem, that child is being emotional and they're self-centered because that's all they know to do. Like, But we so often as adults and as parents come with a logical answer. So the que- the, the child's got a, an emotional problem and we solve it with logic. And the child is so confused because they don't have that capacity. Uh, and, and that was part of my issue, right? So all I wanted was someone to validate that, oh, you've been violated and that's not okay. And it's okay for you to say, that's not okay. And, you know, here is how you can put your boundaries in. And I very much appreciate their efforts and I understand where they were coming from in terms of saying, you know, it, it, it's okay. It wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. You're okay. It, it's okay. You're not hurt. Mm. And it, it, it wasn't, it was just trying to appease me. Did they go to the church and did they tell on him? I believe there might have been a small conversation. I do remember my mum encouraging me to talk to the minister or he, he wanted to talk to me. I'm very aware that the people who I spoke to and, and the people who were, I suppose for want of a better word, in charge, are uh, still to this day do not take responsibility Uh um, or acknowledge what occurred, you know, I I think he was let down as well, to be quite honest, by the institution uh, and by the people because the, the scenario that occurred, it increased the risk. It absolutely did. Uh, and I had my own risk factors, you know, like the me being homeschooled, you know, the weird homeschooled kid, and dad being unwell. That absolutely impacted. Uh, we talk about in criminology, we talk about a routine activity theory. So you've got to have a willing offender or a motivated offender, a suitable target, and you've got to have it, the absence of capable guardians. Right So people who are watching a dog, security cameras, locks, all those kind of things. Uh, and so you know, while my dad was around, he was dealing with his own stuff. Mum was overwhelmed, uh, my sister was pretty young. I was fairly mature from an offender's point of view or from someone who's looking for an opportunity right. That makes me a suitable target.
0: So you think from the outset, you were the kind of young person that offenders noticed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You weren't the kind of person who, who was likely to make a fuss. Yeah, the make a fuss thing was, I think, a
4: really big thing. I, I think that is a really big thing because silence is imperative, particularly in in grooming instances, right? And and to put it back, to put it back on them and to shame you into believing that it was it was your fault. For me and, and for others, the, the risk of victimisation increases with each time you are victimised, uh, which is really crap. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, I, I think those two experiences led me into when when I was raped, I think that contributed to that situation.
0: If you would like to speak to someone about the issues we're talking about today, you can call the 1800 Respect National Helpline on 1800 737 732 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Coming up on Australian True Crime, Lauren talks about the path her life took from this point on and about her thoughts on punitive punishment.
2: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
3: Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, in zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.
4: To explain where I come from, right, in terms of, so why do we punish? We punish to stop behaviour, to keep, keep the community safe and to let others know, you know, it's a deterrent aspect. You know, I, I don't actually think retribution really should come into it. This eye for an eye thing, I don't think it really has a place. What does it achieve? It doesn't achieve anything. For me, the goal is to, to make the world a safer place, to stop victimisation. Does prison do that? Does punitive punishment do that? No. So even though this person has engaged in criminal behaviour and, you know, raped somebody, the act of them going to jail is not going to help them. It's going to make it worse. They're more likely to re-offend. And it's not a guarantee of justice. There's a lot of people who go through the criminal justice system who they don't feel like they got justice. And that can be for any number of reasons, right? And I encourage more than anything is having a conversation. Restorative justice, as hard as that is, is so powerful. My final the, or the last victimizer, it's certainly not the last time I've been victimized, but I, I certainly think about it differently. When I was raped, you know, I was at a party the conversation that I had with the person over the breaking of the boundaries, of, of my boundaries,
0: I know, I know that was enough for him. So you spoke to that third attacker, did you? Yeah, I did. To the actual rapist, right? Okay. At Your suggestion? So it, it wasn't straight away. It was after something
4: uh, additional happened. There was further violence. It's really... Screwy, right, but the rape wasn't enough for me to stop engaging with this person. (laughs) There was subsequent violence that did set me off and that was enough for me and it it didn't happen long after. Mm. Uh, And so that gave me the opportunity to say, right, no, this is never okay. Now I know that there's married, they're married with a family girls of their own mm-hmm. and i know i really know in my heart that there was a complete understanding of what had happened an understanding that i had been violated an understanding that that it was not okay he wasn't a predator the label of predator i do- i really don't think that most that a lot of these people don't get me wrong. There are absolutely people who are very intentional and they they have an end goal. They yeah. they want to get to to that point. But I don't believe that of most people. Okay, you human relationships, right, is a give and take. And so if if you always give, then someone's going to take. That, that's just who we are as a person. They're just going. It, it's it's an opportunity. I, I just think that it's less intentional than we suspect
0: it to be or purport it to be. So are you saying that you think that when you were raped at a party, the guy who went out that night didn't go out thinking, I'm going to rape some chick at this party? Oh, no. No, absolutely not. There are two
4: categories, I suppose, and and there are those that go, you know, let's rape somebody. And that is exactly the word they use. Yeah. Absolutely right. Like it's so minute though. But then there is the other category that goes, let's have sex tonight. Now, the way they do that can be problematic and that can result in rape, that can result in criminal behaviour. But I, I still think it doesn't make it right. Absolutely not. But I just think that these people, the majority of people who are in these situations they made an error. I think as a society, we don't know how to communicate. I think it's possible for rape to occur because of a miscommunication and this is why we need to make it really clear what we want, where our boundaries lie. Uh, And we also need to be comfortable with asking someone what they want and where their boundaries are. You know, if we can't talk about what we want, what our sexual desires are, where our boundaries are before we have sex, we really shouldn't be having sex with that person. It's a conversation that I've had with lots of people that's a very uncomfortable and difficult conversation. But I actually think for me... Part of my ability to heal was acknowledging my part. People really struggle with me saying this, right, but I'm quite a flirtatious drunk. Like I am really, I am very flirty drunk. And while that doesn't excuse the behaviour in, in any or the crime, in any way, shape or form, that increased my victimisation risk. I was also in a place that I didn't know. So it was, you know, a party of a friend of a friend of a friend. So I was in an area that I didn't know. I hadn't driven myself. I got driven by somebody else. So I didn't have the power to leave. I found it very difficult when I was told, you know, it wasn't, it's, it's not your fault that, you know, no one asks to be raped. This never should have happened. And I, I absolutely agree, but we live in a world that's, not perfect, and by not taking any responsibility or any accountability for my actions, I just wasn't able to truly
0: recognise what occurred. I I don't know. It, it, It sounds to me like it's like when you were younger, you're fighting for the right to be able to say what happened. It's like for everyone else to stop telling you what happened yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> probably very true. Uh and uh, it's it's probably something that that a lot of of people who are victimized as children have trouble with because we are so commonly shaped by those around us.
0: Everyone else is telling you what happened, how serious it was. Yeah. You know, yeah. what should happen next, what you should how you should describe it, how you should frame it. And it feels like you're fighting for the right for yourself to be able to make those decisions and tell your own story. Absolutely. And I must admit, it, it's a very difficult thing because... It's very political. You, it's very hard... It's
4: so political. ...to talk
0: about these things and because, you know, you are tr- trying to tell your story. You're not trying to tell yeah. the story of sexual assault for everyone or anyone else. You're just trying to tell your story. And that's that's very true. It's, it's part of the reason why I...
4: I am vague and I, I don't highlight or or identify too much because, you know, I don't have ill will. I, I don't want to dredge up the past. I don't want them to feel attacked or shamed or, or for anybody else in their life, you know, for them to you know, I I don't know, God forbid, lose their job or family or anything like that. You know, I mean, this is in the past and this happened. And yeah, I I just don't have any ill will towards them. That's probably the only way I can put it.
0: Well, I mean, that sounds like healing. And it sounds like, um, again, it's hard to own, take ownership of that even. It's like, it feels like people won't want to hear that. (laughs) You know, they
4: they don't. They absolutely don't. I mean, there is a reality that there are things, there are protective mechanisms that we can put in place. And there are behaviors and contexts that increase and decrease our victimization risk. People are very uncomfortable when I when I talk about taking responsibility. They're very uncomfortable when I talk about, you know, my part in the interaction.
0: And not wanting ill will on your attackers and all of that. I mean, I was uncomfortable in the beginning. I was saying, hey, woo, oi, who cares about this guy? (laughs) Fuck him. He's attacked, you know. So it's taken me a while to to realise, hey, what am I doing? Hang on, I'm telling her what to think about her own, you know, life. We have a really erroneous perception
4: of people who commit crime in that we make the assumption that they're all evil that they have the intention to make us suffer, especially in relation to, to sexual victimisation, Jill Maher and Adrian Bailey. That That is the ideal scenario that we, the media, love and it's what we think of, whereas in reality that is so far from the truth. It's likely to be somebody that you know. It's likely to be somebody
0: that you trust. And it's going to be opportunistic. Which is, God bless him, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday, that Tom Ma, Jill's husband, was so gracious um, in the aftermath that he was really passionate about saying that at every opportunity, about saying, you know, everyone's put in so much effort around what's happened to us, what happened to Jill, but don't lose sight of the most likely offenders. He is the most amazing person. I use him quite a
4: lot in my class. He really is, yeah. I understand. I mean, we live this, right? We we are constantly told to fight as women and I don't think it's the right message. I really don't. I actually I feel very sorry for young men at the moment. I, I feel for, for blokes in general.
0: I say this a lot too. I think they're, we're not supporting them and I think that's behind a lot of the rage and a lot of the aggression. Yeah, but I also think that we're telling women and men w- what we should be thinking and saying about every experience, and there's very little yeah. room for people to actually express their own real feelings, uh, you know, and their own real experiences, which is crazy because we we haven't we been fighting for everyone. To be able to speak, and to be able to speak up and report, and <laughs> no, you know, say they're only allowed to say what we want them exactly. to say. Exactly, <laughs> you're only allowed to say the right thing, the proper thing, yeah. you know, the accepted thing. And but, but no, we're not cut out of with cookie cutters. Where, you know, and that's what you're demonstrating. You're saying, okay, no, I'm not going to say what is the right thing. This is my experience and my feeling, and this is what's led to my healing. And and I, you know, I've I'm very passionate about changing perceptions.
4: And because I have the experience that I do, but I also don't believe in in the punitive punishments. You know, I, I like to challenge people in that way and, and to, to help people rethink, to reassess what they think. And it might just help someone deal with their trauma. It might just help somebody. And do you know what? Maybe if there's a bit more forgiveness in the world, recognition that we're all screw-ups. <laughs> yes. That doesn't mean that there's no accountability. We need accountability. But one thing that I think we don't do well is we don't do compassion. Mm. And we don't do forgiveness. You know, we what
0: should happen after the criminal justice system is that reintegration. You're welcomed back. My God, absolutely. Yes which is why I think so many people end up back in the system. And, Absolutely. And back in jail. I think, yeah, there's a lot of that and a lot of people who just don't know how to live anywhere else. It, it's why I'm passionate about teaching because I, I see so many.
4: I, I really get so disheartened by what I see in the media, what I, what I hear my students say sometimes, you know, like coming in and throw him away and lock away the key and know he's, he's evil and he's scum. It's black and white. It's really black and white thinking, which I actually have a lot of. I'm very black and white, uh, but not when it comes to this no, issue. No, again, you don't sound <laughs> it. I know a lot of people who have been through the criminal justice system. The, the stories of the people who go through the criminal justice system and, and who've been in prison, who have been convicted, charged and convicted of, of crimes... To hear their story, to see what they go through, it's so enlightening. It's very disheartening. And you think about, I always tell my students this, flip it. You think about something, how you've wronged somebody else. You think about the worst thing that you've done. You think about when you were unable to emotionally regulate yourself. And you think about when you hurt somebody. Now, for many of us, uh, we've got that little stop, you know, mechanism in our head, but there are, I guarantee, and and I firmly believe this, I, I think every one of us has the ability to be in prison. Oh, absolutely.
0: Like, given the right circumstance. Yeah, Absolutely. a a drug addiction, a bad partner, uh, you know, away from prison. I mean, homicide detectives will say that, that they've sat across from so many people who just, it was, you know, Christmas, Christmas with relatives you don't like and alcohol and someone starts just mouthing off and everyone's drunk and people just snap and they'll say, you know, I don't know what happened, Charlie, I just lost my shit for two minutes and he was dead
4: yeah and i mean thinking about trying to stop someone from doing something or and you know they hit their head on the concrete oh i know you, you've killed them you know it's like there's so many little stories the, you, the mother who looks down at her phone and runs into oncoming traffic and you know there are so many little examples and and those are the ones that are more common they're not intentional they're simply People being human. We like to categorise people, right, into offenders and victims. There's just one category, victims. Hurt people hurt people.
0: Thank you to our guest, Lauren. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week.
1: so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. It's the Kia
3: Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a and b with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com
0: We're bringing Australian true crime live to Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne this July, and I have to tell you that Brisbane sold out already. Good for you, Brisbane. So we've quickly added a second show. Now we can't keep adding more shows, so please make sure you get your tickets. Our special guests are forensic criminologist Santhe Mallet in Brisbane and Sydney and the one and only Charlie Bazina in Melbourne. There'll be a and a of course, so you can ask your own burning questions on the night, but you have to book quickly.